Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Wednesday. This is our Parastyle Preview Podcast, where we look take a look at USC's upcoming opponent. It'll be the second road game in a row for the Trojans, and it will be the third time they're playing a team playing their very first game of the season, so the Utah Utes, and we have Dan Sorensen on the line. He's going to talk all about this Utah football team and what to expect when they face off uh, this weekend for Saturday night in uh, Salt Lake City. So we want to welcome Dan in. You can follow him on Twitter at D, D. Sorensen, and he's a great follow. Uh, Dan, how are you doing today, man? Doing well. How are you? You know, we got football potentially again. So, uh, I mean, I've been sort of lucky that the team I cover has played two weeks in a row, and I think you've been a little bit unlucky that you haven't had a game to cover yet. So it's 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 been different for everybody. Yeah, we've been chomping at the bit to be able to talk about any sort of live game action whatsoever and just you know we we haven't been able to see it we had our hopes up a little bit last week for ucla but those got dashed uh on friday and so it, it hopefully you know fingers crossed that you know come friday and come saturday you know we it's all systems go and we can see actual football for the utes so for usc fans that may might not have been following too closely uh utah was scheduled to play arizona at home uh, week one, and that was scrapped. And then on the road, uh, Friday night at UCLA, and then I think they moved it to Saturday, and that ended up being scrapped. What were the, what, what do you know about the reasons why Utah was unable to play both of those games? Yeah, both of those uh, had to do with with active cases of COVID and contact tracing uh, with those active cases of COVID on the Utah team. They just didn't have enough uh, scholar. They didn't have enough scholarship players in order to, uh, to to meet the minimum thresholds to be able to play either of those games, either due to uh, actually a player catching COVID or a player you know, having active contact or close contact with somebody in the position group room. We don't know exactly who or how many players uh, were impacted uh, or coaches for that matter. We just know that, that there were uh, there were enough that would, you know, cause the, the Pac-12 to, to, you know, allow Utah to, to, to not play those games. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how the youth come out against USC just because there's so many unknowns you know anybody that's paid any attention to Utah football over the past several years knows that Kyle Whittingham treats any sort of personnel information like a state secret it's easier (laughs) to get things from the CIA than it is to get things from Kyle Whittingham so we don't know what's going on with injuries we don't know what's been going on with COVID we don't know who's been practicing and who's not practices of course have been locked down you know you can't even go up to the the facilities uh, just because of the restrictions in place so it's it's gonna be a big mystery and and you know there's a depth chart that gets released Every single week, we don't know how accurate that depth chart is either. So it, it, the Trojans might be facing a full-strength Utah, and that's a team that's hungry and ready to go out. They might be facing an extremely depleted Utah that's you know playing walk-ons at key positions. We don't know, and and any possibility is out there. Yeah, it's so there's so much up in the air um, as far as this goes. Uh, Clay Helton, the USC head coach, talked about not having film on. 
the first three teams they have played. I think that's an inconvenience, but I don't think it's a huge disadvantage where you're playing a team that's already had two warm-up games and and you know, if you're Kyle Whittingham and the Utes, you haven't played a single game yet. I mean, do you feel like this is something that, you know, assuming the team's at full strength, is there in your mind any kind of disadvantage by coming into that not having played any games yet? I think there's a huge disadvantage not having played any games yet. You know, Whittingham often talks about how the the greatest improvement that you'll see in a season is between game one and game two, and sometimes game two and game three. And so if if you've got a couple of games under your belt where you've been able to iron out a, a lot of the wrinkles, you know, that, that's going to be tremendously helpful. With the with the Utes, the, the biggest problem with them, you know, assuming that they're full strength is going to be the learning curve that they've got. On offense, they've got a new starting quarterback. Now, we think that the new starting quarterback is going to be really good, uh, but, uh, but, and we don't even know who that is. We don't even know who won the quarterback competition in fall camp. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not going to say anything. And, and we can talk about them in a minute uh, about what's going on there. But there's a new starting quarterback who, you know, who's going to get get in with the offense. The rest of the offense, there's guys that have been in the program. So I think that that's going to run smoothly. But on defense, you know, two weeks ago, eight of Utah's defensive starters from last year were on active NFL rosters. The other two or, or two of the others were, you know, practicing with the Utes. So uh, that defense, there are so many new players, so many new starters, and there's a lot of talent and there's a lot of speed and the coaches are optimistic, but that defense is going to have a really steep learning curve and they are certainly aren't going to be as good as that defense was last year. How, how could they possibly be that good? And so the first couple of games, you know, we were already anticipating that they were going to be rough. And it's one of the reasons why Ute fans were so excited to get Arizona first and UCLA second, because neither of those teams were expected to be very good. And it would give that defense a chance to get a lot of snaps under their belt before they had to face off against USC. Well, now that's not the case. These guys are going to get a baptism by fire. And we think that there's a lot of good players. They should be pretty stout up front, but that secondary you know, there's there's two true freshmen that are that are scheduled to start, assuming that they're not affected by COVID. So, it, it's it could be really dicey. So it, there's just so much we don't know, and the fact that the Utes haven't been able to play yet, it's just going to make that learning curve even more difficult for them. Yeah, it's uh, it's so weird having this, you know, the way it's going because you thought Utah, Arizona State, and USC would be the kind of class of the Pac-12 South, and Arizona State has USC beat, blows it at the end. Um, then they get COVID and they they can't play their second game. Utah hasn't played their first two games. Um, my understanding is from what the Pac-12 was saying uh, that you have to play like one less game than what the average conference game list is to you know to win the division and be able to represent the the Pac-12 South. Utah's you know the last two years has represented the Pac-12 South as a division champion. Um, it, if this is a situation where, I mean, have they talked about it, where they have to make sure they try to get in all four games, otherwise the the likelihood of being able to repeat as the division champ uh, would, it would seem very unlikely, unless there's a whole bunch of other games canceled. Yeah, Utah Athletic Director Mark Har- Harlan talked a little bit about that this week, and and you know they they you know they feel that they're still in it. They feel that you know they've been able to get 
control of the situation. So assuming that we see football on Friday or Saturday, and I have no reason to believe that we won't at this point, you know, they, they feel that, you know, if they can come out and they can get a win against USC, then, you know, then they're right back in the thick of it. You know, personally, it's tough, right? That, that path just has gotten exponentially more difficult as each week has passed. And as the Utes have not been able to play, especially since they won't have two war two ramp up games, which were very winnable for Utah in terms of the, at least the, on paper, the talent on the roster, you know, <laughs> when I look at the PAC 12 South, it's funny to me that, you know, we could conceivably see Colorado, a team that everybody thought was going to be just awful, win the division. If they get lucky enough to play enough games, which is just, you know, it, it, it just underscores just what a bizarre year and a bizarre season. And, and I'm glad that we're playing. Look, I'm, gl- I'm glad we're seeing Pac-12 football. But, you know, it, it, as, as far as a lot of people, at least that, that follow the Utah program, not necessarily the, that are in it, but, you know, they're basically, you know, chalking this entire season up as a, as a, as a as an exhibition to get ready for next year when real football starts again. And, and, and I can see why people would want to think that. Yeah, Colorado, I, I thought they'd be awful with no spring practice and, you know, Carl Durrell and uh, quarterback that was a safety last year. And, man, they've looked good. So they're, they're definitely someone to watch in the South. Uh, but yeah, it's almost like, I guess because you have a little more control over it, but it's, it's like when you watch, like, a major golf tournament and, like, the, the people that go off on Thursday morning, like, maybe it's perfect conditions, and then it turns terrible, and it's, like, terrible for the next, like, 24 hours, and the people that go off the afternoon – and the following morning are like playing in these awful conditions and then it like clears up and the after and the people that went off early on the first day, they have like these awesome conditions to play in and and half the field has terrible conditions. And you just don't know. Any team could have missed games because of this. And the, you know, the likelihood, it's just it's sort of this random just oh, you get hit by it, or what community do you live in, or whatever. Um, and you know, that that's why it's sort of looked at uh, by some people as like an exhibition se- season. You just don't know. Um, you can see teams that look good, but there's just so many just, you know, random factors that are going on this year. It's just like, oh yeah, you could, you know, USC playing three teams in a row. They're, they're a first game of the season. You know, like that's, that's what lucky on one end and unlucky on another where Utah gets to play like their biggest rival in the division and they have two games under their belt and Utah hasn't played yet. Exactly. Well, and, you know, look, look up is down this year. And, and all you really need to do is look at the fact that, you know, programs like Coastal Carolina and Liberty and BYU are making national headlines. And that should tell you everything you need to know about this season. It's just I mean, not, none of those three programs have any business being in the national conversation in, in any sort of a normal year. So like it makes sense why. You know, people might just want to, you know, throw their hands up and just, you know, enjoy the fact that there's football on TV because it's been so long, but really not to put a lot of stakes into what the actual results on the field are just because, you know, of all of the other factors that are that are that are leading into it. You talked about the, there's some optimism that the game would get played this weekend. I know uh, there was supposed to be some media availability early in the week. Um, I think Kyle Whittingham canceled his Monday uh, meeting and, and moved it to Tuesday. And you said, you talked about talking with the athletic director. What did, uh, you know, everyone have to say as far as where they were on the testing and all that kind of stuff to, to be ready for Saturday. Lots of optimism in the program. Whittingham, just based on his comments and where they're at, they, they, they feel like they're in a good place. At least they did on Tuesday. They felt like they're, they're in a good place and, and that they were tracking for, 
for being able to play this weekend. So as long as there's no more positive tests this week, and if, they, if they've gotten their, you know, they've they've gotten things under control, they, they were pretty optimistic that there's actually going to be a game uh, this weekend. Uh, Mark Harlan was on the flagship station for the Utes uh, yesterday in a radio interview, and and basically echoed those those sentiments. So. Um, yeah, I, I think that around the program, at least what we're hearing now is that there's a lot of optimism and that this thing is going to happen. Now, once again, whether it's full strength Utah, you know, we don't know, but, uh, but at least, you know, it's, at least it's Utah football. All right. Well, let's, let's put the COVID stuff behind us. We, we had to address it obviously, cause Utah missed two games, but, uh, you mentioned the quarterback battle. I believe it's Jake Bentley and Cameron rising. Um, I mean, anything you've heard or what's the, you know, what, could USC fans expect are these guys different kind of athletes or, you know, what do you, what do you think for the quarterback? Yeah, it was neck and neck all fall. And, and, uh, you know, the Utah, they, they made their, their decision and they announced it. And, uh, and, you know, both of those guys, uh, were in it and neither of those people would surprise me if they, you know, came trotting out on the field with the offense come Saturday. Uh, they are different quarterbacks for sure. You know, Bentley, uh, for, for those that may remember him, he played three years. He started three years at South Carolina and, you know, he, he, he put up decent numbers. He, you know, he had a tendency to maybe turn the ball over a little bit too much, but, you know, he's got a big arm. Uh, he's, he's a good playmaker. He's, he makes good reads. You know, he, you know, he put up 500 yards against Clemson when they won the national title. So uh, on a South Carolina team that wasn't very good. So, you know, he, he can sling it, he can play and, and he's seen success in the sec against sec defenses, which, you know, gives Utah fans a lot of optimism. If he's the guy rising on the other hand, you know, he was a transfer from Texas. He redshirted last year. He's been in the Utah program, uh, also has a good arm. Uh, he, he's a Southern California kid, so some, you know, some some of the Trojan fan base may remember him from his high school days. But but really, you know, he he's a, a lot more dynamic in terms of being able to move with his feet, being able to do more with the run game. Um, he's not quite as elusive as Tyler Huntley was last year. But but he's definitely a guy that can run. He's a guy that can. He's a he's a little bit thicker guy. You can put his shoulder down and run through guys if he needs to. Not that that's what you want your quarterback to do, but he's capable of it. Um, and so the, I, I would, you know, the, the interesting thing about that is, is as teams have to prepare for the Utes that, you know, there's a couple of different styles that they have to prepare for not knowing who that quarterback is. You know, I'm, Bentley's not a statue by any means, but he's certainly not mobile like Rising is. And, and so I would expect the Utah offense to be a little bit different in terms of, of run, run and pass balance and, and how they use the quarterback in the running game, how much they use the option game, depending on who that starter is. And so it's going to be interesting to see who it is because, you know, frankly, you know, even we are, are, are waiting, you know, we have our suspicions on who might start, but haven't gotten confirmation. But I think that USC would be wise to be, prepared for either eventuality and, and, and then see, you know, how the, how the, whoever it is that starts is able to mash and, and lead that offense because, you know, they've got a lot of weapons around them. Could there be a situation where they're playing both or, you know, both guys play? I could see that, especially if we see a couple of turnovers early, I could see a short hook. Uh, I could see some, somebody getting, you know, I don't think it would be like a drive-by-drive drive thing because there's always that old ad, adage, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any, right? So um, I, I don't think it'll be that. But I could definitely see if, if somebody's being sloppy with the ball, if somebody's not being efficient, 
that we, we could absolutely see both. And I could see that hook getting really short uh, if the results aren't there. Expectations, regardless of who the starter is, expectations are high. Uh, there, there was a lot of buzz in fall about this offense. And, you know, they think that they can be pretty good. It's a good offensive line. They've got pretty much everybody back off of that offensive line from last year. And they're, they're deep in their season. There's a couple of guys that have NFL op- aspirations after this season. And, you know, they've got a stable of running backs they're confident in. And then they've got an awesome group of tight ends and receivers, probably the best receiving core Whittingham's ever had. So the expectations for that quarterback is, you know, you're going to move the football, you're going to put up points on the board. And frankly, we're going to need it because the defense is going to need time to catch up. So there's going to be a lot of pressure and, and whoever's out there needs to perform. So it sounds like, you know, losing a guy like Zach Moss, uh, you know, stud, um, but, there's still a really good group of uh, of running backs. I think Ty Jordan, someone that you guys were high on. Um, you know, it sounds like offensive line is back. So it seems like outside, you know, Britton Covey's a you know playmaker there. It seems like outside of you know who's going to quarterback's going to be. Even you have got to replace Zach Moss. There's still a, a lot of talent on this and experience on this uh, Utah offense. Yeah, definitely. You know, the, the the running back position is, you know, there's Devin Brumfield who, you know, saw a lot of snaps last year in the USC game and, and had, you know, moderately good success uh, there while, while Moss was out. Um, you know, he's he's got a lot of experience the last couple of years. Uh, Jordan Wilmore, who was a true freshman last year, who's a four star kid out of Southern California. You know, he he former I believe he's a former USC committee. Yeah, he was. A, but, I went to a couple of his high school games. I mean, there was one he had a 99 yard run. He ran like right at me. I was in the end zone and like right around me as he. Yeah, I remember covering him because he was a USC commit for a while. Exactly. So, you know, he he's in the mix. And I, and I expect him. He and Brumfield to split carries. And then Ty Jordan's a kid out of Texas. He was committed to Texas until the very last hour where he flipped over to the Utes. And he's more of a, a change of pace guy, a guy that can catch the ball in the backfield. He's fast. He's elusive. And so I think you'll see a pretty steady mix of those three depending on the situation, but it'll, it'll be running back by committee receiver. You know, Covey, Britton Covey, you know, was hurt last year and he's back and, you know, he's, He's back to uh, to to 100% for the first time since really since he returned from his LDS mission. So there's a lot of optimism about him. You know Brian Thompson and and you know he averaged you know 20 plus yards per catch last year as a receiver. Uh, Samson Nakua averaged nearly 20 yards per catch as a receiver. They've got some bi- some big play guys on the outside. One guy to really pay attention to is is and he's a guy that hasn't get, been getting a lot of run. Uh, because the Utes haven't been playing, but Brant Keithy, the tight end, is a kid that, you know, I, I think he might be the best tight end in the Pac-12. Uh, he's he's a little undersized. You know, he's only 6'2", 6'3", but, you know, they split him out. They, they, they put him in as a blocker. Uh, they run, you know, he was a running back in high school, so they'll run, you know, tight end and sweeps. He's got a, he had a couple of rushing touchdowns last year, but he's a guy that can be a, a big play threat and is, is a serious mismatch for linebackers and safeties. And so, you know, he's a guy that I think is going to be a quarterback's best friend. And so somebody to keep an eye on as well, but there's definitely weapons on that offense. And it's just a matter of the quarterback taking care of the ball and being smart with it and, and, and utilizing them. For the defensive side of the ball, there's some definitely big names that are, you know, you mentioned all those guys on the NFL rosters, you know, like guys like Bradley and I, Jalen Johnson, Lucky Fotu. Uh, Julian Blackman. I mean, this, there's a, a lot of studs on this Utah defense that uh, Whittingham's going to have to replace now. Uh, Morgan Scaley's back for the, his, I believe, his fifth season uh, running the the defense. 
Um, what do you what do you make of this defense? It's really got to rebuild uh, a lot of the parts. It is talented, but as green as they can possibly be. You know, up front on the defensive line, uh, it's it's not as <laughs> dire as, as it may lo- seem. So uh, at defensive end, they've got Mika Tafua, who was a starter last year, uh, w- good starter opposite Bradley and I. He was an impact guy. He's got a lot of talent. He's got NFL aspirations and a good chance to make it to the next level. At defensive tackle, their, their top two tackles were actually big rotational guys last year. So Hawati Pututau and Viane Moala. Moala is a guy that I've got my eye on. I think that he's probably the, the next breakout star for the Utes in their defense. He reminds me a lot of Lucky Fotu. He's six foot seven. He's 320 pounds. He's explosive. He's strong. Behind the two defensive tackles, you know, they got a bunch of younger guys, freshmen, but you know, they were all here's here's the deal with utah defensive tackles i mean a they got they've got defensive tackles coming out their ears but you know if if utah recruits you to play defensive tackle it doesn't matter what your star rating is you can play and and they've just for the last decade in the pac-12 they've just been churning out talented defensive tackle one after another and so that rotation it's it's five kids deep it should be strong there's a lot of youth on it and then on the other side, they've got Max Tupai, who's a former four-star guy. He's got a chance to really step up and 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 be be take his game to a next his, the next level and be the guy that they expected him to be as a senior. And then they've got a couple of Army All-Americans from last year uh, in in Xavier Carlton and and Van Fillinger that that they expect both of them to play as as rotational guys at defensive end. So a lot of talent on that D line. I do expect a little bit of a drop off, but not a lot. I, th- I think that they're going to be stout. They should be pretty stout against the run. Uh, they've still got Devin Lloyd at linebacker, and he was a starter last year, and he was outstanding as a starter in his first year as a starter for the Utes. Uh, he's taking on a bigger role. Uh, he should be pretty good. After that, you know, it's maybe a little dice, a little bit dicier at linebacker. There's not as much depth as the Utes had last year. Um, and so uh, it's going to be interesting to see who steps up there. And then you've got a secondary that's just young and green. You know, they've got two true freshmen that they expect to start. Um, Clark Phillips III, who was an Ohio State commit last year. He's actually the highest rated commit that Utah's ever signed. And so he'll be starting probably at outside corner. Uh, for the Utes uh, in, in, in his first game of college football action. And then they've got a safety named Nate Ritchie, who is a, a four-star kid out of the state of Utah last year, that will likely start at strong safety. Uh, and then they've got a new starter at free safety, a, a kid that's been in the program for a couple of years, a, a former JUCO transfer. And then the other outside corner is is uh, JT Broughton, who is a, a Oklahoma State track championship and uh, champion in the 100 but, uh, you know, and he played last year as a true freshman and got some cornerback reps, but he's still pretty green as well. But you, you think about that secondary and just how few starts and that there's zero starts in that secondary and how few reps and how few games that those guys have. And you got to think that that USC passing attack, you know, the, the right wide receiver core and, and Keaton Slovis were just licking their chops to try to see what they can do to take, take advantage of these guys because mistakes are going to be made in that secondary. And so if USC is able to capitalize them on them, you know, there could be a lot of chunk plays. You know, with the, obviously USC's receiver is probably the strength and, and, you know, we don't know how good this uh, Utah secondary is going to be just because like you said, there's a lot of young guys really talented, but um, you know, could potentially be a weakness or it could be a strength. We just, I don't, think we could we possibly know right now but last year we saw 
Matt Fink, you know, throwing the ball over the place to the receivers, just kind of tossing it deep. It seemed like Utah stayed in a man defense a lot, and that's just something that USC was really successful against. People that have had successful defenses against USC typically were playing some kind of zone, dropping more guys into coverage. With an inexperienced secondary playing in the very first game, I don't know if that's part of Utah's identity, but could you see the Utes doing something like that where maybe they play a little more zone than they normally would just because that's been effective against USC and it might you know, help protect these young corners a little bit? I could absolutely see that. And Utah, you know, they're, they're known and part of the – the, what they do when they go out and recruit cornerbacks is the fact that they, they you know, they tell them, look, you are going to play press man coverage. You know, we, we play man coverage at Utah. You know, we, we rely on our defensive line to get pressure on the quarterback. You know, you're going to play man coverage. You're going to have opportunities to make plays. And, but because there's so much inexperience, because there's so much youth and because, you know, the safeties aren't really trusted as well. I, I could absolutely see Morgan Scally implement some sort of a zone strategy or, or throw different looks out there to, to, to try to, you know, give his guys a break, especially against some really good uh, receivers at USC. You know, I, I know that that receiving core is extremely talented and, you know, in one-on-one matchups, you know, I, you know, there's, there's swagger in that Utah program and, and they, you know, they've got a lot of pride in the fact that they're, they're, they're able to play there, but, you know, at the same time, you know, when, when you're young and you don't have a lot of game reps and you're going up against an experienced and talented receiver core, like you will see that the Trojans have, you know, you got to help them however you can. So I would not be surprised in the least bit to see them, you know, see what they can do in terms of zone or, 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 or change looks around and, and try whatever they can to protect that secondary. What's the uh, special teams unit look like for Utah? Special teams should be um, good, probably better than last year. Uh, not quite to the elite standard that it's been over the past several years, you know, where, you know, you're you're used to you know Ray Guy winners and 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 Lou Groza winners and that sort of thing. Um, the the kicking competition has been pretty fierce. Uh, I, I think that it's still going to go on into into week one in terms of of who wins the job. That Jaden Redding was the starter last year, but you know there's a new guy on campus that's that's pushing him for it. Um, uh, on the uh, from a punting standpoint, uh, it, punting punting game wasn't great last year. But Ben Lennon, who's a, who's another Aussie kicker, you know the Utes just, you know they they get they get them year after year those the, the, the Aussie punters and you know Lennon started to really play a lot better toward the end of the year. I think he's figuring out the game, um, so they they expect big improvement from him and he was being pushed in camp by another player as well. So that's getting worked out um, from a coverage standpoint. I think the coverage team should be good. Uh, Britton Covey is going to be back returning punts uh, and returning kickoffs. So, you know, and, and he's got a chance to be a really special punt returner, uh, you know, again. So, you know, he's been all pack 12 in that regard in the past. So should be good special team units. I don't know if they're the elite units that we've seen at Utah over the years, but they could grow into that. All right. Well, good breakdown of the Utes and what we hopefully will see uh, this weekend. Um, how do you think, I mean, we talked about this, we don't know, but how, how do you gut feeling you think this game is going to go? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's funny, like, I know that Utah fans have been just clamoring for the Pac-12 to send USC up to Salt Lake City sometime in like late in like November. And then of course it's not going to be that cold. It's going to be 45 degrees. So uh, it, it's, it's not like the Trojans are going to get to experience snow, which uh, uh, would definitely be an advantage for Utah. Um, this game is, 
Uh, look, I expect USC to win. They've, you know, they're a good, talented football team. They've got a good quarterback. I know that there are issues. I know that there is some dissent in the fan base, and I totally understand that. But given the fact that they've got two games under their belt, the offense should be able to, you know, hopefully, for at least hopefully, if you're a Trojan fan, it should be able to to get things going, especially against a defense that's just gonna. They're going to take their lumps. I, I just expect that, and 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 that's okay. That def- this defense in two years is going to be a monster defense again. But this this year, in game one against a good quarterback, I just I just it's going to be really hard for Utah to come out of this thing with a win. I do think it's going to be a shootout. I do think Utah's offense is going to be good, assuming that they're at full strength, and I do think that they're going to put points up on the board against the Trojans. And so it might be one of those things where we see, you know, a, a last second or an overtime thing, which is not a strange thing for USC this year. But uh, so I, if I had to guess, guess, I, I'd expect a shootout. I'd expect, you know, you know USC to pull away toward the end of the game and probably the 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 point totals to be in the the the, the mid 30s um if and but but I do think that USC is probably going to come out of Salt Lake City with the win all right yeah i'm kind of feeling the same way but man i just don't know i, I you know it's like uh it's just such a crazy season we just don't know and and not having any film to watch or just know and you know, get a feel for what uh, an opponent is like or whatever it's just so weird but this is yeah i mean at least there's gonna be football yeah we're, we got some football exactly and then because i just that uh, said that because i just said that it's probably going to be like a, a nine to five utah win in the weirdest <laughs> way possible right i could see that yeah um <laughs> usc's had plenty of mistakes left points on the table turnovers one week penalties another so who knows we'll see what it we'll see what happens but uh yeah we don't know this the, the how strong this Utah team is going to be as far as like the guys that you know, are scheduled to start. Will they, are they going to be ready to go? We just don't know. So um curious to see, but we'll, uh, we appreciate you coming on, Dan. Uh, it was uh, it's good stuff and uh, enjoy the game this weekend. My pleasure. Hopefully, hopefully there's football. That's all I, frankly, if the Utes and Trojans take the field on Saturday night, I chalk it up as a win for me personally. And that's, <laughs> that's all that matters. Yes. Uh, same thing. I've just been lucky to, to be able to watch it and hope we can keep doing that. That's Dan Sorensen from UteZone.com. We're back in a quick minute and uh, I'll answer some more of your questions that you guys have sent in. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Good stuff from Dan. Hope you guys enjoyed that segment. We got a couple more questions that you guys have sent into the podcast. So I wanted to take a few minutes and answer those. Anything left over from the Arizona game so we can uh, move on and take a look at Utah. First up, we got Don, the Helton Complex. Do you think too many of the players have the quote Helton Complex where they're just happy to be here Rather than competing, Helton is just happy saying he's a coach of USC rather than actually competing. Too many of these parts players 
have underperformed. I know poor coaching is a big reason, but attitude plays a part. Hey, Don, a lot of times players do get the kind of personality of their uh, head coach. And, and, you know, in this case, though, I think you have a lot of A personality athletes. You bring guys in, they're A's, you know, and they want to compete and they want to win. But they're going to be at the mercy of whoever their coach is. And I think that's going to be part of, you know, if there's a culture problem, it starts from the top. Uh, You know, you could have bad apples in there that, that kind of poison the locker room a little bit. I don't think that's the case. I don't think just because you're playing for Clay Helton doesn't mean you want to not perform. I think Clay Helton wants to win, too. But is he sort of happy to be there? Is he sort of like would be – he likes being in his comfort zone. Uh, I always go back to the 2017 season when the Pac, when USC won the Pac-12. And there was glaring issues, though. The loss to Notre Dame, the loss to uh, to Ohio State in the, the Cotton Bowl. There were some issues there. And Clay Hilton could have addressed those issues. But did he? No. And part of it was he did get a an extension – um, from Lin Swan, and it was a five-year fully guaranteed extension. But also, he could look back and say, "Won the Pac-12, so no need, no need to change out your offensive line coach. No need to make some changes to guys that could recruit a little bit more." Um, so it's kind of sitting on your laurels a little bit. But that was the more comfortable thing for him to do. He never got rid of John Baxter. He didn't, you know, Neil Callaway, guys like that. And then it came back to bite him, and he goes five and seven uh, the following year. So I think that's more on the coaching side than. The player side. I don't think the players become, uh, you know, kind of apathetic and don't really care about winning. They're not just happy to be there. There's some. I mean, I'm sure there's some guys that get to college and they got their college paid for, and they're not, you know, being a huge part of a, a winning program might not be everything for them. But I think for the most part, the players do want to win. All right. Next up, we got a text message. Eddie from Orange. With all the injuries, Todd Orlando needs to get Brew McCoy. Uh, at outside linebacker, defensive end on third and longs. He'll be a huge, huge factor. Huge. X-Factor, that's Eddie from Orange. Eddie loves Brew McCoy, loves Modern Day, and likes to write in about uh, anything having to do with that. So um, don't think you're going to see that anytime soon, but, you know, Eddie thinks it would be huge. They did get Jacob Lichtenstein to opt back in. Keely Yor broke that news, so they got, they got some help on that defensive front. Uh, Steve, USC class of 97, wrote in, uh, I no longer know what to feel about USC football anymore. Different year, same results. With multiple changes on the coaching staff, it's clear this is an indictment on the head coach. Yet, USC is stuck in a constant loop of mediocrity that they seem neither willing nor able to break free from. The administration seems unwilling to fire Clay Helton unless their hand is absolutely forced. At the same time, USC has enough talent to win just enough games to keep that from happening year after year. My question is, how do I approach and watch USC games? Like a moth to a light bulb, I will never be able to stop watching and rooting for USC. But how can I watch the games? Keep my sanity and hold out hope for our future at all at the same time. Thanks and fight on to victory. Steve, class of 97. Hey, Steve. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're right. I wrote a column about being Groundhog Day and you're kind of doing the same thing over and over and over again. But I think when you kind of make a sweeping generalization about the administration, you just have to kind of look and break it down. There's been really poor leadership coming from USC, uh, you know, from the president of the university to the athletic directors to the coaches. I mean, there's been a lot of poor leadership and you're trying to make that right right now. And I think getting a guy like Mike Bone in, Brandon Sosna, I think they're trying to do the right thing. I think they want to win, but they also came into a situation that was a lot worse than I think they even knew 
not realizing what kind of contract Clay Helton was locked into. So you had a head coach that most fans didn't like, that everyone wanted to change. They weren't performing up to the standards of USC. We've seen recruiting start to drop off a little bit uh, the last couple of years. And twenty class of 2021 does look better. Um, but, you know, it's not up to the USC sort of standard. The issue is because of the really bad decisions by Max Nikias to hire a guy like Lin Swan, the really bad decision by Lin Swan, who didn't make a lot of decisions, but what he made were bad. And one of them was giving Clay a fully guaranteed extension. And I think in those situations, you can become complacent. And that's not Clay Helton's fault. His agent got him a great deal. Like you wouldn't begrudge anybody that gets, you know, average five million bucks a year for five years guaranteed. Um, and he's locked in. You know, there's nothing that USC can really do right now if you're, unless you want to pay this huge buyout. And the administration strapped for cash. It's really hard for them to do that. I think after you know the 2021 season, when that starts, there'll be a much more reasonable buyout. And if there's you know if they find sound reason to uh, get rid of Clay Helton, then they would. Uh, I the problem is, like I said earlier, I feel like once once Clay Helton got that, he was pretty comfortable in things. And was there urgency to win? Were you fighting for your job? He wasn't. In USC fans' minds, Clay Helton was fighting for his job. In his mind, he knew. There was no way USC could fire him. He wasn't fighting for his job. Um, but would you have liked to see him more fight out of this team? Would you like to see them take, you know, be more physical and and just be what he said they were going to be when he took over? They haven't been. And, you know, some of that's just, you know, maybe complacency. So, yeah, I think the administration is not unwilling to fire Clay Hilton. I fully believe in my heart if that contract wasn't there, Mike Bone would have fired Clay Hilton. Like, I believe that would have happened. Um, it didn't though, because there's just a lot of problems there. And I don't know, uh, I don't know enough about Carol Fault. You hear some good things, you hear some bad, and you're not really sure at this point, but I think the administration itself does want to do what's right for USC football. And I think they're doing everything they can around Clay Helton. The problem is the biggest problem. If you want to look at the coaching and the head coaches is Clay Helton. And that's something that at least in their estimation can't be fixed right now, from what I understand. You could say that's wrong. You could say no matter what you do, you have to figure out a way to to fire Clay Helton. And I think a lot of USC fans are there. And I think I was there at some point too. But kind of learning about the contract and seeing it, I get it. Um, doesn't make it, well, that, okay, so it's a good thing to keep Clay Helton. But all they're trying to do is make everything better around him. Uh, anything they can fix, they are trying to fix. But like, like I'm sure you, Steve, are thinking the biggest problem is isn't being fixed, and uh, that's where your the quandary is. But yep, hope you enjoy the game this weekend. We got one last one, McLean. This is Armgate. Feel like a boss. Uh, he says, "Hey guys, I'm a big fan of the show and listen all the time. Having missed out on landing a commitment. Oh, I'm sorry. This was uh, this was two of them combined. This isn't about Armgate, I believe. He says, having missed out on the commitment of e- e- Ethan Calvert." Where does USC go from here? What other linebacker prospects are we targeting with him no longer being an option? I thought Calvert was a strong USC lean, so his commitment to Utah came as a surprise to me. I thought he'd be a key piece in the next recruiting class that would help convince Corey Foreman uh, USC is back on track with recruiting and the on-field product. But with Calvert being a top prospect and choosing another Pac-12 school, I'm worried this will mean we also lose out on Foreman as well. Compound this development with two lackluster wins, and Clay Helton continues to look inept. I'm watching with great interest from Northern California, but it doesn't look good. Keep up the great work on the show and fight on. 
uh, Bay Area Trojan. Uh, I'm sorry. The, the, um, yes, I read a part of a different email that was incorrect earlier. So this was more of a Ethan Calvert thing. So, yeah. So I, I would recommend checking out Gerard Martinez's um, you know recruiting podcast. Uh, he does a really good job with those. But he also did a piece of where does USC go from here for all our uscfootball.com subscribers. So make sure you go check that out. Um, and, you know, he kind of goes into a lot more detail. I would say we just found out today that the NCAA extended the dead period all the way through April. Um, it's going to be over a year since recruits and coaches can be seen in person. Uh, it's a really tough deal for the class of 2021 that they don't get any recruiting trips. There's nothing. It just doesn't matter. It's it's really tough on them. And I think it's tough on the recruiters, too. You just don't get as much film, and you don't know what's going on. Obviously, in California, they're not playing football. It's a really weird time in a weird class. And um, I feel like if you're a USC football fan, yeah, Corey Foreman would have been tough to get anyway. Uh, and individual games don't necessarily matter to recruits. It, you know, you might feel that, oh, USC played poorly and they beat Arizona State in Arizona. For a recruit, they, you know, the record doesn't matter as much. You know, it's more about the, I want them to be better when I get there. But they got to feel good that things are going in the right direction. And, you know, the USC fans are pretty upset right now. They don't feel the program's going in the right direction. Could there be more defections and things like that in the recruiting class? Or could there be some big misses that end up at other places in the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, that's a distinct possibility. And I think USC, best to best combat that is you got better recruiters on staff now, show a good product on the field, and I think that's going to help, especially with no visits, no camps, and things like that. But it's a it's a it's a tough deal right now, and I, I definitely go recommend you checking out the the site. And Gerard wrote a go, good piece on um, where USC goes from here as far as uh, uh, linebacker uh, recruiting. But there's some good parts of this class, and there's some leaner parts of the class, and it's still pretty highly ranked. But you know, there's some problems, and I'm curious what it's going to be. You know, after uh, after it's all said and done in February. Um, it's going to be a scramble to get to the championship game. I mean, losses here, losses there. A loss or two could derail the season because there's just not that many games and give some other program in the Pac-12 some momentum and maybe pick off some guys that USC was after. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird time right now. And you would like, if you're a more stable program, if you're like an Alabama or Ohio State, it's probably not going to impact you as much when you're USC and you're sort of like you needed the year to like show everyone how good you were and turn things around. Um, it's good that you brought in some, some better recruiters on the staff, but you really kind of need to show a good product on the field. And now it's a weird product on the field. Not only, you know, you're winning these to close games, but some games are being canceled. You're playing three, three straight games against teams that haven't played yet. Um, there's a lot of just weird factors going into this whole thing. So it's something to stay tuned for. And that's why I you know, suggest you subscribe to uscfootball.com. You'll stay up to date on all of that. All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast. Crossing our fingers that the game does happen this weekend uh, in Salt Lake City at Utah. I uh, hope you enjoy the show and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting.
Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.